Welcome to the May 26th edition of the PFF Forecast. This is an awesome episode. I know I say this a lot, but this one was really great. We have Benjamin Solak on the podcast. And if you've listened to Ben or read Ben's work before, you'll know this is going to be good. If you haven't, this is awesome. We talk about the uh, entirety of the NFC East. We talk about Dak, where he would rank as a quarterback, whether the Cowboys or the football team are the best team, who has the best shot of not being bad between the Giants and the Eagles, what those quarterbacks need to do to succeed. It's a great conversation. And he gives, as a second straight guest, with a recommendation that you don't want to miss. So you'll want to stick around till the end. Um, Let's rock. All right. I, once again, I want to commend you. I just got a shot. I got a shot. I got to give you praise. You wore a decent shirt. Is that Sweat Taylor? What is that? Might be. It looks like it could be. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to give me, like, we, we came up with this recommendation idea together. And recommendations it's have been amazing. all you. It's all you. I'm going to give you full so, credit for it. It is a great thing. Now, I'm worried. Now it's a lot of pressure. Okay. I actually think I know you what my recommendation is for Sunday. Um Oh, buddy. But I, I'm excited. Hopefully, You're, this book ends up ending as well as it Just gave it away. He just gave it away. No, it's there's a book. more than one book in it's the a world, book. George. That's boring. <laughs> I'm not telling you I what mean, mine we have is. So, many, so much work to do on the product side this week. I might not, I might not read anything but R for the next like four, four days, but, but uh, I'm going to try. I, I also have a running list of great recommendations. Ben Solax is awesome. We talk about the NFCs. I'll also say this. We started off with the Julio Jones trade because he had some really interesting things to say. And that discussion is is 10 or so minutes, maybe even closer to 15. So if you want to skip that part and then come back to it later, you can. We get to the NFC East eventually, trust me. Um, but he has some really interesting things to say about Julio, what he would actually trade for Julio, um, which is interesting. And it, it was a good discussion. So we kept it in there. So that's there for you. But um, a lot of really good stuff here. He does a tremendous job of breaking down this entire division. Um, before we get there, I do have to tell you about a couple of things. If you are not listening to other PFF podcasts, you're, you're missing out a little bit because there's some really good ones. Um, and there's some ones that you can, um, you know, learn some kind of like different stuff from as opposed to this podcast, a couple of them that fantasy podcast with Ian Harditz. Um, it's, it's fantasy season, believe it or not. And you should go and start preparing for that. And of course, the two for one drafts pod with Austin and Mike, which is fantastic as well. The other thing, if you are looking for a place to invest, you know, maybe you're going to make some investments. Can, can I update the people on Symbol? My yes. Symbol? Okay. S-I-M-B-U-L-L is the place to go. It's a stock market for sports teams. And so you're listening to this about the NFC East and you'll go, hey, maybe there's some stock I want to buy. My portfolio is up 39.54. Really? Yes. Since I started out, wow! Yeah, I, I look, and I, I'll tell I'll tell the people I'll tell the people what I got, okay? And I did I did sell a little bit ago. Um, my teams, let me see my teams. I have one share of the Sim 49ers. I have one share of the Sim Broncos. One share. We talked about this on the show. Of the Sim Cowboys. One share of the Art Smock Sim Packer uh, Sim Panthers. Zach Wilson. I have one Sim Jets. And lastly, I have. As per our religion, a share of the Sim Falcons. 
have to. You absolutely Buy and hold, to. baby. You absolutely have to. Um, look, it, it, you saw how much joy that just gave Eric. I would go to Symbol. Yeah. And if you deposit $10 at Symbol. Look, it's better than crypto right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Skyline Chili, currently trending better than crypto right now. Use promo code PFF, deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF, and you'll get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for $10 of investment opportunity at Symbol. Uh, Eric will keep you apprised of his investments as we go. And now, Benjamin Solak. It is now time to uh, welcome on. This has been a long time coming because Benjamin Solak is a fantastic friend of ours on the social media sphere. He creates great content. You can find him at the Draft Network where he is a senior college football writer. He's also the deputy editor of the Bleeding Green. He, and he does the casting of pods. Well, not only on, that, but uh, he's, uh, well. according to Peter Schrager, does a lot of the analytics. Right? Yeah. Welcome home. Yeah, that's where wow. I'm Wow. You want to the talk forecast. about that? I'll give you the floor. Talk about that. Yeah, no, numbers are great. And when you look at them, you learn things that they tell you. It's good good to know them. And I'm proud to be an analytics man. <laughs> How? <laughs> How crazy was it when you heard that that was said on the most watched football morning show this in the world? The first thing is I was like, I got to explain this to my mom. This is going to be so confusing. Be like, all right, no. So he read it from somewhere else and he thinks I do analytics. I know, mom, I write, trust me, I know I write, but there are also numbers that I do. And like, that was my first thought. All, all together was really cool and it was awesome. And the main thing I feel like that always gets talked about, at least for me, like I am a blogger, right? Like that's how I came up, right? Is there was nothing more frustrating than when somebody with a big audience said, well, I read this really good thing on this one site, I can't remember where, and mm -hmm. it was what you wrote. And you were like, frick. I'm, if you said my name, like that would have been big for me at this stage. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm beyond that that stage of my career a little bit. I'm not so much like hustle and grind and claw for every follower, which thank God. Um, but for Peter to know that it was important to be able to say like Ben Solak is the guy who did this was sick. Uh, and so that's that's just big shout out to Peter for for doing that. And uh, man, I really hope Justin Fields is good beyond his first read, baby, because that, that's a lot of eggs in that basket now. Well, I think I think we I think the whole so. There, we're a very polarized, like everything. But I think the one thing that like ninety percent of us hope it will happen is that Justin Fields is good. Like I think that's like every they were yes. the, the, the Capitals are thinking about selling the Bears, and I'm just like fucking just sign it over to Fields at look, this point. Like the, the group of people that don't want Fields to be good is a group that I do not care yeah. to alienate myself <laughs> from. <laughs> yeah, right. You guys can go where the sun does not shine. Um, I. I have some hypotheses for why you were called a man of analytics, but the one that shines out to me is that I think continuously smart football is it merges. So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether you're, I think of a guy like Seth Galina, who, who we were talking about before we aired the podcast, who's very much about scheme and, and writes great articles about that. And yet, you might think of, you know, if you didn't weren't familiar with him, you'd say, "Oh yeah, I'm sure he's a, you know a guy that uses analytics." You might even call him an analytics man. Yeah. But it's like the the key thing here is that it doesn't matter what your primary way of attacking football analysis is. Like mm -hmm. you can be intelligent in both. <laughs> it's not against the rules. Right, and it's like I feel like one of the most common refrains from the analytics community is always like, "This isn't a monster. It doesn't live in the closet. It's not." got like you know 12 eyes and seven limbs and you can't comprehend it it's just like we're just trying to understand what's happening the same way that somebody like just with her with their eyes with heuristics is it's just we're using numbers to 
explain the information to get it across. It's literally just quantitative instead of qualitative. So for me, like, because why I got on there was contextualized quarterbacking, which is quarterback charting, which is what you guys do. And the reason that I do it, I'm sure the reason you guys do it is because instead of saying he throws deep a lot, I want to be able to say he throws deep 22% of the time because that's better than being able to say just a lot. Like you say 22 and then you say a lot and now everybody gets it. All right, so it's doing it for a little less than a quarter of a time and that's a lot relative to everybody else. That's it. That's the whole kit and caboodle for contextualized quarterbacking is just being able to say, this is exactly how much he was asked to do it relative to this guy and relative to past Ohio State quarterbacks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very like, that's what you would do. Like if somebody offered you a job and was like, we're gonna pay you a lot. You'd be like, what is a lot? Like we need this number. So it's not a big scary thing. It's very very surface level it's not uh, and, it's, it's, and it's helpful it's honestly nice of you to talk about eric like that because we get a lot of <laughs> he's a big scary monster that lives in the closet yeah. i was thinking more of steve to be honest <laughs> with the fro and the six <laughs> the six foot eight and whatnot we, <laughs> we get seth rogan we get ben roethlisberger's cousin now mm-hmm. in fairness i've seen eric throw football i have a better arm than big ben you are throwing on a line 30 yards <laughs> yeah. more I, than I, that I, i'm not even trying to be a dick but i, I think that's really cool and i also think as the interesting part about the evolution of PFF, like we all did charting at one point. Like I don't, not everybody's going to from here on out, but like you and I did it. There's, there is something interesting about the appreciation for where this data comes from. And especially like for somebody like me, there isn't a big bar for understanding every little nuance about everything football. Like I build models and I try to understand those models. And then I defer to people like Renner and Gail and you know, people who sort of study Steve, these. Seth, Bruce. Yeah, 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 all those guys to sort of like fill in the cracks. But like, but Ben, you, I mean, you, you guys are scouting players and, and what I think is really cool is you're not just looking at four games worth of data or not even four games worth of data, just watching yeah. four games and saying, I think this, and I think that, you know, Derek Lawson does as well. You guys, like, I think it's cool to sort of appreciate where every data point comes from. And while it's not necessarily the most scalable thing in the world, it, it often gives you an appreciation. That's why people, you know, Belichick makes his coaches pad and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. because you do gain an appreciation for what data means, where it's coming from. And when you get a humongous data set, whether it be from us or whether it be from, you know, NGS or something like that, you really do have an appreciation for the, whether, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into it and how valuable it can be. Yeah, that's a good point. And I would also call out, um, ben, that you implement the word frick very nicely. Yeah. Well, that, I'm trying to, you know, uh, I keep it clean. But I get texts from my mom when I don't. And so we got to keep that locked down. Uh, she loves to consume the content. That's great. Appreciate the support. Wish there was a little bit less censorship, but I understand it and I respect it. I We get comments from listeners and uh, that feels like has, comments has from your, my mom. By the way, our, both sets of our parents listen to this. Yeah. Look. I've never gotten a message from my, my dad who listens to the show. Hi, dad to tell me to you know yeah, clean up my language it's other things that he wants you to clean up yeah, yeah. like my like Understand. beard yeah. understandable um okay so I, we're going to talk nfc east that's why we brought you on but um i, I thought i was you know, the julio jones stuff is just out there and so i just wanted to ask you before we started on the nfc east um you're a gm let's assume like a team that is actually competing because i don't think um you know the houston texans are coming in for uh julio anytime soon um, what would you offer for Julio Jones? Right, that that's a very good question because what I'd be willing to offer is like late first. What really? I would offer, given the way the Falcons have 
grossly mismanage the situation is less because I really they don't have, they can't sign their rookies. Yeah. They are in in such a bad cap situation right now where you know it's being presented as if they they need to uh, trade Julio in order to make that space. There's a lot of ways to make that space. It's not like they won't be able to get the rookies in the building, um, but they're in a such a dangerous cap spot. And now you have a very emphatic statement from Julio Jones in terms of how much he wants to be in Atlanta to the point where, right, you're trying to get that deal done for a two. Uh, and uh, it was actually, it was Mike Renner who, I, you know, I, I tweeted it like, listen, if, if the Falcons get less for Julio than they got for Sanu, which was like pick 52 overall, yeah. like we can't, I can't, I'm not, my mind is going to break. And Renner hit it with, uh, I wonder if they're going to get more for Julio than they gave up for Hayden Hurst. And I was like, oh, oh God. my God, the Falcons, yeah. what are we doing? Like, this is not good. But that's what you're looking at is you're looking at basing the deal around a, a two. And frankly, it is absurd to think of any receiver, even on a rookie contract, to, in my opinion, returning the value of an early 30s Julio Jones on his current deal, which Will Julio show up and play for 11 million in 2022? No, guaranteed. Don't really know that. And that does throw a monkey wrench into it a little bit. But for me, uh, this is, to say Julio Jones has lost a step is to erase the reality of Julio Jones beginning at a point that's above all but like three receivers in the league. So yeah, he's not as good as he was. So he's now top eight. <laughs> I'm willing to send a first for that with where the Falcons are in, in this negotiation. I'm trying to get away with sending them a, a middle two. And if I can get that done, especially as a competing team, that's yeah, a home run. Yeah, see, that that's where I get a little bit nervous about this because I would, you know, I think the Falcons are holding out for a one. I think they have been holding out for a one for quite some time. It's why, you know, and, and Jason Fitzgerald did a great job of explaining this on his show. They did the Ryan extension, closing the freedom there. They didn't do it with Julio. They now have freedom to trade him. But and they but I think they've been holding out for a one and I think teams are rightly not wanting to trade the one and, and there was an article by Mike Sando in the Athletic that said you know look at teams from you know, picks from nineteen to thirty two have been like a one and three hit as far as getting their fifth year option so on and so forth and I don't think it looks at the other side which because the, their conclusion was then okay the Rams are kind of sharp for trading all their ones and it's like Brad looked at this and he said. Every single take away draft pick compensation, every single time on average a team overpays for the player they traded a one for by twenty percent. So not mm -hmm. only are you like foregoing that rookie contractness, right? You also are overpaying in a, and that's not even considering the draft pick compensation. Mm -hmm. So I fear that with Julio Jones, you trade a one. And here's the other thing. We, it's not this year's one. You have no idea where that pick ends up in round one. Like right. for, like the Minka Fitzpatrick pick, that pick ended up being a relatively decent pick. Uh, you know, the Deshaun Watson was clearly you know interesting. That one became the fourth pick. But the Laramie Tunsil pick, like right. all those, like the hard part is, is you don't actually know it's a late one. And I think the issue in the NFL, and we showed this in an article the other day, is being elite is pretty stable. Everything below elite just shuffles every single year. You go from being above average one year to terrible the next to below average. And like the problem is, is if you're not one of those super elite teams, your draft pick is has nowhere close to being a guarantee and being in that back half of the first round, even if it were true that those those picks have lost hit ability over time. So I get nervous about that. And, and that's why I think that there's this chasm here and we haven't seen a trade happen because the Falcons are holding out for a one. And every team, I think, is rightfully saying, no, like, we're going we're gonna to start the price at two and, and go from there. 
who should who should trade for him, Ben? Who are your list of teams? Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas oh City. God. Please, Kansas City. Uh, I like Green Bay. I like San Francisco. Cleveland also makes sense. Uh, the Browns fan whole like last time we got a star receiver it was Odell and it didn't work. We should get more yeah. Jarvis Landry's. No, Julio Jones. That's what you want. Yeah, but uh, so to me, those are teams, right? Where it's like. Can you guarantee for all four of those teams you're going to be a playoff team and your pick's going to be in the 20s? No, but also, like, at some point you got to act like it. And especially, I think, for a team like a Cleveland, where it's, you know, if there's going to be a weak point on that offensive side of the ball, it's the wide receiver depth. Man, like, adding Julio, it gives you Odell Beckham insurance, uh, Odell Beckham injury insurance, excuse me, um, and it gives you a, a dynamic field stretching guy, which I don't really think you had even when you had Odell healthy because you'd rather use him as a separator. So I, I I think those four stick out. I like the Kansas City thing just because, I mean, yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, they, I, I wouldn't Tampa be able Bay to... is adding everybody. You might as well. I would. I actually would hate I'd it. have to retire. <laughs> like, I don't think we could do the podcast. No, but, but here's here's a question because I, I have a couple. Because I, I don't think he's going to Kansas City. I don't think Kansas City has the cash, let alone the cap space to go through with this that's really the tough part that the falcons are in too is a lot of these teams like we're i'm looking at half the league barely has enough money to sign their draft picks right now Mm -hmm. let alone the cash to because of all of the sort of rearranging they've had to do all the money they've had to pay out the browns make a little bit of sense in the sense that they i think are one of the most well put together teams the nfl from a risk reward like a risk standpoint like they they've spread their risk out quite nicely with with deals like davion Clowney. but like doesn't the odell beckham trade sort of like exactly prove why this is not a great approach because you're saying they're lacking wide receiver depth and it's like well the quickest way to lack wide receiver depth is to trade a valuable asset in jabril peppers the 17th overall pick and i believe what was a number three over a third round pick for you mm-hmm. know concentrating that risk on one player yeah but i'll say this like I, the one thing that i would that i would say that i think makes a lot of sense ben from the cleveland standpoint and I, and I am on board with not sending a one because I think they're t- they have their hands tied behind their back. But right. he's certainly worth, from a value perspective, like that level of play. Um, Julio Jones is, I don't want to say this in the wrong way, he's not like the anti-Odell, but he's not Odell in any way, shape, or form. Like the way that he carries himself, the leadership that he would bring, the, like he, they haven't won a Super Bowl in Atlanta, but it's not because he hasn't, prepared in a way to win them a Super Bowl like that dude works and that's a reason he's been so successful and that I think is one of the reasons why I'd be so sad to see him leave Atlanta is I really think that might be the best place for him to to win like I think Cleveland is good but like Atlanta's finally got you know a a coach who I think from an offensive perspective is going to do the right thing they have a GM that is obviously you know like going to try and do the right thing as well um so I, that's what's tough for me is I feel like it makes sense for Cleveland because he's such a good character guy, but that's a huge loss for Atlanta. Atlanta, I think, is like seven wins right now in terms of over-unders, and Cleveland's at like yeah. 10, I want to say, which I might be low on Atlanta there. But I, I think that Cleveland is like is expected to, to win more. Yes. It's in terms of like Julio's I want to win kind of projection. Because mm-hmm. yeah. right, if it's not Atlanta, then it's got to be a team that like made the playoffs last year and like seems legit. Yeah. So yeah, Cleveland makes sense. Indy's the one that people get excited about that I don't get, and it's simply I don't, I don't think he. First, I don't think Ballard would do it because Chris Ballard. It's an aggressive move, yes. and he's made one in the last like three four years. Two, I don't think that uh, 
Julio would want to go play for that quarterback. I I would. Yeah, agree. they they did trade the 13th pick for Buckner last year and then gave him Buckner the, and Wentz, right? That's their yeah. two big. But, trades, and right? and the Wentz the Wentz pick, as you well know, like that complicates things because you don't know if that that yes. trade is a first or second rounder next year. So that muddies mm -hmm. the waters for them being able to trade the Julio trade for Julio because you sort of have that correlated sort of bet that it's either a first or a second. Um, the yep. one that the one that we talked about the other day, which I think you know, I think bears mentioning is the Los Angeles Chargers. I th I do think that the Chargers mm -hmm. go from a fade for me to a at least a neutral, if not a buy, if they get Julio. I, I to me that that's that's one that makes a lot of sense. I do think that makes sense. The Atlanta Falcons, by the way, Ben. In case you're new to this uh, whole thing, they they're over under yeah it's seven and a half. Choose one fifty five to the over. But in this, moved, in this world, in this world, the Atlanta Falcons are always Super Bowl contenders. So I'm gonna say you guys are big Falcons guys, right? I bet, <laughs> I mean, I bet made more bets on the Falcons. And honestly, what, what, once it, George was like, the Falcons are the Browns, you know, both winning teams. I was like, wait a minute, now. Look, I also that's something else. I also do. I, I love Kevin Stefanski, and I hope things work out for Baker. And I think Andrew Barry's the GM of the of the year. But does that does that let's muddy be the like? Waters? Let's just be a little cautious here i do think that the baker baker's upcoming contract in concert with miles garrett's contract in con like that does make a julio trade yeah I harder to do i would agree the um, money for a julio trade makes no sense for anybody which is why atlanta is dumb if you really requested a trade before free agency yeah. then you should have handled it then when teams had the money to quote unquote make the mistake yeah. of trading for julio to yeah one of one of the interesting things i wanted to point out by the way um, Brad, Brad sent this my way. We had the, I, I had this intuition here. It was really interesting. D the first highest paid and fourth highest paid and seventh highest paid wide receivers are all coming from trades from other teams. Left tackle, highest, third highest. Interior, second highest, third highest. Edge, third highest, fifth highest. One of them, Frank Clark. Corner, highest paid corner, fourth highest paid corner came from a trade. And soon to be the top two safeties are going to be players that come from trades. Trading for veteran players is expensive as fuck. Like because you end crazy. up That's you end wild. up having because you end up having to justify. Like think about Kansas City sticking their neck out for Orlando Brown. Like the fact, like the fact that as the clock keeps ticking, this contract just gets more expensive. And Orlando Brown hasn't played a down for them. You know, like the leverage that a player has when he's a veteran that gets traded to a team. That's the hard part when when I look at the Julio thing because. Like you're not only taking on a draft pick compensation, but you're also taking on what is going to be a new contract to make him happy. That's a great point. Okay, we're going to move on to the NFC East because I can already see the comments from like you guys lied to me. This is not the <laughs> NFC East. So, By the way, we appreciate the comments. Um, the comments. The so the NFC East. So I want to set the table here by looking at um, at the win totals and uh, Cowboys nine and a half, um, pretty evenly juiced, plus one hundred seven over, minus one thirty under. Washington football team is eight, minus 141 over, plus 116 to the under. The New York football giants, minus 130 uh, is over seven, and plus 107 is under seven. And the Philadelphia Eagles, Benjamin Solak wearing a 76ers uh, hat, a team that's actually winning in Philadelphia, at least last I checked. At six and a half. should have worn my uh, trust really the process You really should have shirt. worn your trust the process shirt. I would have made fun of you for dressing. No collar. Not well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, six and a half, minus 155 over, plus 127 uh, under. So I want to start with the Eagles. They have the lowest win total. And I just want you to, t so what does success look like in your opinion 
for the Eagles this year? And I know that's going to be different, and that's why I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear it. Like, what's a successful season for them? Knowing what Jalen Hurts is. Yeah, if, if, if this is a clear franchise guy, tremendous. Build around him. Uh, we're going to get coordinators in the building who have experience with 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 uh, running quarterbacks and you know kind of your 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 Greg Roman to your Lamar Jackson if you will. Right now the Eagles haven't made any sort of signs that they want to go that direction. Um, but if Jalen Hurts is clearly that guy, then you have to incorporate the quarterback run. Awesome. We're going to build around him. We're going to build the offensive line. We're going to have a dual-headed backfield. It's going to be great. Uh, Jalen Hurts is clearly not a franchise guy. Tremendous. Awesome. Lose games. Get a decent pick. Go get another quarterback. Uh, I was big on the Eagles taking a quarterback this year. Don't fully understand why they didn't do it. Uh, but all right, you've got Jalen Hurts now. You've got him for a year. Figure out what he is and then be able to choose your path there. Nightmare situation is both reasonable and also because I'm an Eagles fan, I'm wearing nightmare goggles. Already happening. <laughs> Where it's, he's a very high floor player because the running ability gets him out of bad situations. The locker room loves him. Uh, the the energy, the effort is great, right? He's a tremendous dude Monday to Saturday. And there's a temptation to continue investing in him for another year and seeing if he can get over that hump and be a clear impact starting caliber quarterback. I think that Hurts is going to have a very long NFL career sitting on that fringe because mm-hmm. he's got such good character to him. He's got such, he's such a likable guy. I was joking with another Eagles fan recently. I watched the film and I think to myself, all right, I haven't seen Hertz make enough NFL throws to really like believe in it. And then I listen to him talk, rents do every day. I'm listening to payment. I'm like, let's go, baby. He's yeah. an NFL quarterback. I'm ready. Like, you know, he's, just, he's such a magnetic dude. Uh, and so there's going to be a, a temptation to continue investigating that when I'm not sure if the if film and if the, the product, especially as a thrower, will bear out that he's worth that time and he's worth that investment. And so successful season for the Eagles is. Right now, the team is completely identityless. Don't know who the starting quarterback is. Don't know who the premier weapons are. The big uh, uh, feature guys, the blue chippers, are all getting old. Lane Johnson's been banged up. Brandon Brooks's been banged up. Jason Kelsey's going to retire. Fletch is banged up. Brandon Graham is 33. Like, everybody is, is, is over the hill. Uh, there is no identity right now. New coaching staff, nothing. So you got to know what you are by the end of the season. And that's either we've got a young quarterback, we're gonna start to build around this guy, or we don't have that and we fully need to now reset, get a new face in the building and and start a new identity from there. One of the things that we used as a reason to bet they're under last year was the injuries to Brandon Brooks, right? Right Mm -hmm. away, that was like the first sign. Mm -hmm. And and it just got worse from there, right? Andre Dillard, you know, it, it just, it never got better for them. They get a little bit of stability this offseason uh, up front. Is that a place where you look at that team? Because I, I, I kind of agree with the market. I don't think they're going to be very good. I think, much to your point, this is a year where you figure things out. You're, this is not a year. I, I think if you go 2017 Buffalo Bills on it and make the playoffs somehow at 9-7, and seven, like I almost think that's a step back. Right. Do you think that having a stable offensive line, though, does makes people like me underestimate the team? I think it certainly helps. And it goes back to like kind of the old adage. I don't really know if it's actually an old adage, but the idea of fix your offensive line before you try to figure out what you've got in your young quarterback. Because if your offensive line's bad, you ain't gonna know. You know there's not gonna be enough like clean, actionable reps to say like this is what this guy can be. So he's just gonna be running for his life. Your rookie response to pressure is typically panic unless you're like Justin Herbert and just for some reason weirdly good. Uh, and so I think that it helps you in that sense. It's worth noting. 
Doug Peterson's out, Nick Sirianni's in, the entire offensive coaching staff gets redone except for one spot, and that's Jeff Stoutland, who's the offensive line coach and the running game coordinator in Philadelphia. And he Stout's just the man. Like the Eagles run about as diverse of a running game as any any team in the league, at least off my eyes. Uh, and a lot of that goes to Stout, and they've developed well. Uh, Dillard aside, you know that first round pick. Uh, they've done a good job with 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 younger players with middle round picks and developing those guys in the back being able to get them out there. This man got Halapulivati Vaitai a fifty million dollar contract, <laughs> and that did not go well for the Lions because Vaitai was fully a Stoutland you know product, mm-hmm. uh, and so that him staying indicates just and you have all the veterans as well that the Eagles offensive line is probably going to be really good their run blocking is probably going to be really good again and that's definitely to Hertz's benefit with that said who is good at football outside of the offensive line on the offense there's no answer and Miles Sanders is an uncertainty Dallas Goddard probably is JJ I think a white side Jalen Rager Devontae Smith Kenny Gainwell we do not know anything and so a good offensive line is great but if you don't have actionable weapons, if you don't have a quarterback who's a consistent thrower, which Hurts wasn't last season, you don't have a consistent running back, which Sanders wasn't last season, uh, we're gonna we're gonna test just how how far a good offensive line can take you here in Philly. We're gonna find out. Yeah, what? Jeff Stoutland, by the way, third in PFF history in WAR generated by offensive line coaches uh, behind Dante Scarnecchia and uh, Nebraska's Callahan. own Bill Callahan. So yep. very very good there and. Um, they drafted a guy we liked, uh, Jeff Driscoll or uh, uh, Jack Driscoll last year. Um, Love Jack Driscoll. So, so that that yeah, I look. I that was the one place where I looked and I said that hurt them last year. That was the first time in Wentz's career he played without a top ten O line grade wise, and it absolutely tanked him. And if they could be better there, I don't, I'm not saying it, they, that's how they win, but it might be uh, a faster way uh, to your point for them to figure out what they have there. Well, and there's a running element to Jalen Hurts that I, in my opinion, was not a big enough part of the offense. 100%. And that, like, I would leverage the hell out of that, especially because, so you mentioned the throwing, and, and I want to ask you this. To, for, to know that Jalen Hurts is a guy that you can rock with, how much of an NFL thrower do you need to see? Because, like, Lamar Jackson He's not going to look like an NFL thrower in a lot of situations, but he's dynamic as hell because mm-hmm. of the different ways he stresses the defense, and then he can make enough throws where you know he puts you in a bind. And I would say, look, there's probably still some question marks with Lamar Jackson. So what, what do you have to see from Jalen Hurts to make that commitment next year? Yeah, he's got to be a better thrower than Lamar is. He's not as good of a runner, right? Yeah. And I think that, right, if, if that Lamar line, right, that, like, holy line of demarcation is kind of – it's tricky because Lamar was an MVP. Like, he's not just, like, passable. You know what I mean? He's fully there. And it's not like a Jeff Driscoll situation where it's like, oh, fun for a couple weeks. Oh, we forgot that he's fast. And then it's like, all right, he's bad, you know. Uh, he, the biggest problem with Hurts as a thrower – is the Kyler problem and the Russ problem. Hmm. Uh, he doesn't like throwing middle of the field. Yep. And maybe it's because he's a little short. And <laughs> maybe it's because, uh, especially you saw even at Oklahoma, where they're really good at opening the middle of the field. Uh, mm-hmm. The the eyes just sometimes lie. Like, he had picks in college where you're like, that linebacker's been there the whole time, dude. Like it's, it's, mm. This has been the entire time. There's That is the most difficult area of the field to throw to in general, that intermediate area of the field where you have to worry about linebackers dropping, safeties coming downhill, and corners and coverage. Every you know every angle is possible from a defensive perspective. And so it's a tricky area to throw to. And if you're not confident in your velocity, which Hurts doesn't have 
uh, a ton of mustard on the ball and you're not comfortable in your processing, which has always been uh, his biggest problem going back to Alabama and Oklahoma, you're going to avoid that area. And the Eagles really, really did with him over his four game stretch. If you can't access that area of the field and schematically your, your, your play caller has to call passing plays to respect that and to, to keep you away from that, that's where we start to wonder, like, why isn't this Kyler Cliff thing working? It's because they never, they try to throw it middle of the field. It doesn't really work too well. And oftentimes Kyler just ends up scrambling out of those and he can throw as pretty of a 40 yard nine ball as you like. Mm-hmm. That's a very difficult offense to keep stable across the course of a season in terms of a passing game. And all you saw was like a shoulder injury to Kyler. And that Cardinals running game completely oh fell off the rails. And all of a sudden, they're losing a game where they scored 14 against the Patriots. You, you know have I mean? to hit doubles. They, they I, were a different offense. I mean, we were talking about yeah. this with, with Kyler. That intermediate area of the field is so often where you attack middle, right? 10 mm-hmm. to 19 yards. And the guys that destroy that area of the field consistently are Tom Brady. I mean, Aaron Rodgers to a slightly lesser degree. Uh, Drew Brees always crunched that middle of the field area. Um, in that, when Rodgers started hitting the middle of the field again, he became True. an MVP. Like that was the, yeah. that part of the field is so valuable. And like you, like our thing is, is like that ten to nineteen range. That's where you look to find some instabilities. Like you look at, uh, you know, like Trey Lance, for example, more pass, more yards on passes more than twenty yards downfield than between ten to nineteen. You know, one of the reasons we think Justin Herbert might regress, almost more yards on 20-yard passes downfield than between 10 and 19. You have to be able to hit doubles in the NFL because, you know, defense is the easiest things to take away. It's pretty easy to tackle in the NFL, and it's pretty easy to take away deep balls if you're, you know, that middle part of the field is a hard part for a defense to defend, but it's it's quite easy when you don't attack it. So is is Hurts then a guy... Because, like, he's obviously, you mentioned he's, like, a great guy. He works his ass off. So, you go, okay, well, he's, he's worked like his ass off. like a great backup for Carson he's Wentz. Worked out, he's worked his ass off for a while. Like, how much do <laughs> you mm-hmm. expect him to legitimately improve? And is there, like, is this really down to scheme? Like, would the right scheme make him look like a starter and the wrong scheme make him look like just a complete bum? Is that is that where we're at? Because... Because you look at the receivers and you go, okay, at least they invested in Devontae Smith and they invest, you know, like they theoretically should have guys that could get open. Mm -hmm. Right. So how much better do you expect them to get? Definitely some. Uh, We played four games. And so to sit here and be like, he's not going to be an NFL thrower is just ludicrous, right? Like we all sat here and said that about Josh Allen and we were right. And then he just became something else, you know? And so the the projecting development is is impossible. uh, clever your eyes, spin around three times and throw a dart. Um, but he's doing all the right stuff in terms of like private quarterback coaching. And, and we, we know how much limited CBA time, limited right. practice time via the CBA affects your ability to develop in season. So out of season work is so important. Uh, you know, I think that there's, that he's going to become a better passer in the NFL. With that said, the, the current level is, is quite shaky. So it's not like, Oh, just one step forward and we're good. Like it's going to be, it's going to be multiple steps in terms of accuracy, throwing with anticipation, being able to uh, manage a pocket, so on and so forth. So he's definitely going to get better. Uh, and it's a question of how much better and how quickly, because like I said, you don't want to be putting yourself out on a string on a line, just kind of waiting for him to finally get over the hill. Cause this will be the year where he gets there. That's very tough. Uh, that, that, that can, that can hurt your team building uh, and it hurt your ability to, to put a good roster around him. Uh, and then, how much of it comes down to scheme a ton but the scheme has a lot more in my opinion to do with the floor than the ceiling 
Uh, if you built the perfect scheme around Hertz, you'd be able to beat every single bad team. Because if you've got a, a defensive coordinator who just doesn't know how to make these numbers work or just fight out a defense that doesn't have the bodies to make these numbers work, you're going to be able to play 11 on 11 football. And uh, that's always the advantage of the offense. They know the play call and the defense doesn't. And they've got all 11 guys involved. Um, especially with a runner like Hertz, who could physically take on a linebacker in space, an NFL size linebacker. Yeah, like that, that, that's, you're going to be able to beat bad defenses. And then you're going to hit playoff caliber teams. And it's not going to be as easy. And that's purgatory. It's where you're Andy Dalton and you get far Oof. enough away from the first overall pick for the team to get better Rough. and never close enough to the 32 overall pick to, to right. And, and obviously like Dalton <laughs> and, and, and how he played is not how Hurts yeah, yeah. played, but perfect scheme gives Hurts a very high floor. Uh, bad scheme can take his floor really low. So, it's a question of, can you really scheme open a whole passing game if a, if a passer is allergic to these areas of the field or if mm -hmm. he doesn't throw with timing and anticipation? And the answer is like, there's definitely a cap on that, and that's very, very scary. Well, and there, and the, and this will get to our our next question, which is you know, how much how much better are the Giants and the Eagles? Because I do think think but think about this like for a second. To me, I look at the Giants, and I think about they're the exactly what you're talking about, which is if I could scheme a situation where my quarterback had, if I could scheme a situation twenty percent better for my quarterback, and he has all the positive Hurts has and all the negatives Daniel Jones doesn't have. Like, that's a playoff team for the Giants because you look at everybody else in the, uh, on that team and it's a fairly mm -hmm. solid roster, uh, Jason Garrett aside, right? How much better, but the problem is, is with the Eagles, I just don't think the talent's there and the other 21 players on the team. Um, how much better do you think the Giants are than the Eagles going into uh, this season? I think the defense is, is impactfully better right now. Uh, I have secret hopes that John Gannon, who I really like, the Eagles' new DC, is like a genius. And they drafted Milton Williams. And I was like, bam, they're doing tight front. Three down front, baby. Here we go. But like, we have no proof of that yet. So hopefully that'd be great. But we don't really know. Uh, I like him a lot, but I like Patrick Graham, the DC of the Giants, a lot. And I know I do. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen him do it. They build that secondary out very, very well. Uh, and then that defensive front, they're definitely overpaying Leonard Williams, but it's okay because he's good enough to be to be disruptive for 17 games if aziz can be healthy for them and can translate for them right away ojalari their second round pick out of georgia oh uh, that's going to matter a lot because edge pressure i think is, is your biggest question on that depth chart but that defense started to come home right across the second half of the season and that's nice because healthy saquon nickel and dime passing it's only going to get you so many points but if that defense can control games for you you can beat the bad teams right and then you can start to put out a 500 season and in the nfc east that might be enough uh, so i think that Right, like you were alluding to, especially when we start to widen the view to the roster, Giants are, are measurably better at a lot of spots. Uh, offensive line is the question, and it's not that it's the worst offensive line. It's that Daniel Jones will take any bad offensive line and make it way worse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, right, it's that inability to prevent a mistake from, from snowballing. And we know how much turnovers are impactful on a game level, even if they're playing fine on a season level. You can just lose a game with a turnover. It's that impactful. It's one of the lost column instead of one of the win column. And so it's difficult to have faith in Jones behind an offensive line that's probably going to play Will Hernandez again, and Andrew Thomas is probably going to star. And uh, I really thought they were going to do more to add to protection in the draft. Uh, I will say that this blitz of receivers is exciting for New York, though, because yeah. Jones is going to get the ball out of his hands quickly. It doesn't really matter who he's throwing to. So you might as well just load up on receiver talent, ask them to do the work for him, uh, and, and 
Galladay, Sterling Shepard. Like, yeah, those, those, those guys will be impactful. We'll see what Kadarius Tony does. We can hope uh, that he's impactful as well. Yeah, the, the, the Daniel Jones thing is interesting in the sense that he graded better for us than I think his statistics would suggest. By, right? a, by a mile. Like in 2019, he averaged 6.6 .6 yards per attempt. He averaged the exact same in 2020, but his PFF grade was about 10 points higher. Um, you know, he limited turnover-worthy plays by about a factor of two um, while, while increasing his big time. Like in 2019, all these Giants fans were in our mentions because he had like a five-touchdown game against Washington, a four, three or four-touchdown game against somebody else, and he racked up stats. Last year, that didn't happen. He only had 11 touchdowns, but there were some mm -hmm. things that came came bubbled up that were better for him. The the What you have to, I guess, hope for Offensive line play, you know, generally speaking, guys start out slow. Even guys as highly drafted as Andrew Thomas. And then Daniel Jones somehow lucks into a season where his turnover-worthy plays are not caught or his fumbles don't get recovered right. by the opposition, et cetera, et cetera. Because I do think long-term, those that level of negativity on a play-for-play -play basis will hurt you. But we've seen guys like Bortles. We've seen guys, we've seen guys who are like, you know, high, highly picked guys in big, great rosters have lucky seasons, yeah. and that's almost enough to buoy, especially in a division this bad, buoy a team to 10 wins or so. Well, let me ask you this, Ben. I'm curious because I, I, you could kind of go both ways. The Bortles thing is interesting because, like, Bortles had those turnover issues, but he also just, like, wasn't particularly accurate with the football. Yeah. Is Daniel Jones, is he accurate enough as a thrower? Can he make the throws? And it's more about tightening up, like, Hey, just don't fumble 25 times. Or it, is, he can. Yeah. Uh, I like to bully Seth because uh, Seth's like, yeah, well, Jones same. is fine. I'm like, he's absolutely not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he, the reality is, yeah, he probably is. I, when that 2019 class came out, I did not like Haskins. I did not like Locke. And I was kind of a little bit like, yeah, Daniel Jones. And then he's like sixth. And I was like, okay, we got to chill. Like, this is too mm -hmm. much. Uh, I think that he is accurate enough. The thing is, Jason Garrett or otherwise, the area of the field into which he's accurate enough is the short area of the field. He hmm. is a quick game passer. He is a nickel and dime passer. Always has been. I don't think he can be more. There are some times where the deep ball is beautiful. Uh, that Darius Slayton week one touchdown, I think against the Giants, it's like, whew, let's do that all the time. He, do he doesn't. He can't. Uh, I, I, there's just inconsistency there. So the, the issue is he's accurate enough to get it done. And I think they're barking up the right tree with the Kadarius Tony selection in the sense hmm. of let's get really good yards after catch guys because we're going to play quick game. And, you know, Tony is a hotly contested prospect. I don't know how impactful he can be year one, so I don't know what routes are going to be available to him in year one. But that accuracy, like, it, it's certainly there enough. It is what you're saying. It is, like, you'd love to be able to say, all right, Jones, just play the offense and then get out of our way. Like, just be a guy we win with. But he has a history of making backbreaking errors that are not win with errors. Mm -hmm. They're lose because of errors, yeah. right? And that's the difference between him and like a Baker, where Baker, you can say, all right, good system, good weapons, win with. And Baker like generally doesn't make too many boneheaded plays. Jones, it's erasing errors. And it's a lot easier, I think, especially when you're a veteran in the league to like get better at the spots where you're marginal instead of like erase the spots where you're bad. That's what we often see, especially when quarterbacks tail off. Like I'm thinking about Wentz, it was, oh, he's gotten away with all this. Now he isn't. Uh, and so like, I don't think Jones is going to be able to take that out of his game. And that's why he's a tough, he's a tough horse to back. Yeah, that bears, that bears out in the data. You know, negatively graded plays are more stable than positively graded plays, right? Like it's the Matt Ryan and Shanahan system thing where, you know, the, you, you find somebody who can extract a bunch of positive plays out of you and you're an MVP 
And, you know, with Wentz, it's like the same thing happened in 2017. And then, you know, those things go away. And now all of a sudden you're just a guy that generates a shit ton of negative plays. (laughs) You know, like, unfortunately. Yeah. Carson Wentz catching strays was minus 20,000. And uh, it's happening. He caught a lot of strays. So to, to sum up the bottom side of the NFC East, the you know the the Giants uh, seven minus one thirty, the Eagles six and a half minus one fifty five to the over. So like you adjust those and it's, gosh, only like four tenths. I'm doing this in my head, but like four tenths of a win in adjusted total difference. Mm-hmm. The Giants are four to one to win the, the division. Eagles are five to one. Does that make sense to you, or are those mispriced? Oh, I think that. The Giants make sense, and I'm not surprised the over is juiced. I do think the Eagles are a little high. Uh, it's not. It's not a good roster. It's you know, and 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 I don't know. Like I, the quarterback focus is always critical, and it's important to understand how that's going to affect the team. But when you like widen that scope and you start to look at the Eagles' defense, brother, they don't have a linebacker. They don't have a second corner. They might not even have a safety. Like you know, McLeod's getting older, and his play's been dropping off. Harris was available late for a reason. Like. The they they did the whole Jim Schwartz we're gonna do the defensive line and nothing else thing and they got great pressure every year and they looked fine and catch all metrics every year but anytime they met a good offensive coordinator who was like hey I'm gonna throw it at the guy with 29 inch arms all game they lost uh, and they weren't mm-hmm. able to keep points off the board they simply did not have enough resources to make those necessary changes and they also had Howie who was like let me get my offensive line six and my defensive tackle three before I get corner two because that's how he's always done it. Uh, and so that set, that back seven remains extremely concerning, and the wide receiver room is very unproven. So to me, uh, if you told me the Eagles end up six and eleven, I'd be like, oh, not too bad. Uh, and <laughs> that that's that's sitting at that line. So to me, if anything, the Eagles are a little bit overpriced. I think the Giants are right about where they should be. Wasn't it another former Eagles GM who said we were stupid for saying the coverage was at least as important as pass rush? And uh, I don't know. I've I at the heights of their memory. of their uh, of their brilliance defensively, uh, we've yeah. only seen a decline because, as as Ben said, they've uh, done nothing the really, to, really struggled. to throw numbers at the position. Hey, we traded a three for Darius Slay. Watch it. True, very it's terrible. It's Great. so bad. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> I, I, the, the the year that you guys won the Super Bowl, they threw numbers at the position with Darby Robinson. Jalen Mills and and, and, and uh, Rasul Douglas and they and Sidney Jones like they did all of it in one year and it was like every like all those guys got hurt at one point but they had enough numbers where it was like five choose four was enough to win with and they also there was a year where all the quarterbacks were hurt in the NFL so it was yeah. like perfect Patrick but, like, Robinson by the way was insane yeah and then he like yeah, yeah he's done nothing which and shows they his got, ability they got the wild P Rob year they got healthy Darby in the playoffs and then Jalen Mills broke up that one pass to Julio Jones in the 15 to 12 game against the Falcons and once Jalen Mills broke up a Julio Jones pass you're like All right, we're never losing yeah, yeah, again. Yeah, like, this is, we're never gonna yeah. die this is amazing and then you catch a backup quarterback in the NFC title game and you know that then yet like that that was a year where that was a strange year where I think Good on the Eagles for hitting. The Eagles had tons of injuries that year too, but like, True. but they they ended up, you know, when it was their year, they won it. So good for them. I made the really shrewd uh, decision to start with the Giants and the Eagles, knowing that we wouldn't have a ton of time to talk about the Cowboys and the football team, which is fine because that's who everyone wants to talk about. But I do think it's important, and uh, we're going to talk about them. And here's how I'm going to ask you uh, to break this down, Ben. Cowboys versus the football team, agnostic of what their odds are. How would you rank them? And you can kind of go through like your thought process, but ultimately, 
Like, who, who's the better team here? Yeah, I think Washington's a better team, which I've thought it for a bit, and I've just been like, all right, don't say this. Don't say this in May. It's a bad idea. <laughs> but here we are in May, and, man, uh, maybe it's just because Ryan Fitzpatrick, the last two times he's played the Eagles, has been the Dolphins win two years ago, and then the Bucks win. win. <laughs> right? yes. yeah, yeah, where it's just like, Dude, but that's a classic example of what I was saying, where like when you get a quarterback who knows what he's doing or an offense that knows what they're doing, they could beat the Jim Schwartz defense because all they just do is chuck nine balls at bad corners, just play variants. Uh, Fitz can, it, Fitz is a roller coaster, but he can give you enough up to win some games against some good teams. The rest of the team is very nicely put together. I don't honestly love what they did in terms of the Morgan Moses cut and then bringing Charles Leno because now you're either playing a, a second round rookie in Sammy Cosme at right tackle or you're mm-hmm. playing Cornelius Lucas, which is like a journeyman. So I, I didn't love the change up on the offensive line. So I wasn't a huge fan of that. But defensively at all three levels, I think they're stacked. Uh, they're going to have the ability to win with light boxes, which is really, really important. And they can play split field. And that's critical for stopping that that Shanahan defense being able to play quarters, which is what they they did at a very high level last year. Hmm. Does Jack Del Rio want to be that team all the time? I'm not sure, but I'm hoping so, um, because I think that's what they're, they're nicely built to do. I think the William Jackson signing is great. You're going to be able to sit in off cover mm-hmm. with, with Jackson and Fuller and be highly, highly uh, effective, be able to generate some turnovers. I think that defense is very, very strong. Uh, top to bottom, right? We, I like their line better than the Giants line. I think they're the best defensive group. Big Cole Holcomb guy. Love Cole Holcomb. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm all about that. And then the way they built the receiver room is great because it's yeah. speed, 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 but all of our speed guys do some different things, right? Terry mm-hmm. is speed, but route running. Beautiful, intermediate. It's great. Curtis Samuel is speed, but with Scott Turner, he was big depth of target. You know, uh, he's always been, you know, quick underneath touches guy. So you got, you got the short ability. And then with Diami, who was a third round pick, Diami Brown out of North Carolina, I've got speed, 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 but now I've got deep ball tracking, yep. contested catchability, and all that. And so they have the ability to rip off explosives. They're going to have an aggressive quarterback who's going to be willing to let those receivers make plays. Uh, and I think they're going to have a defense that suffocates. Yeah, so I, I like them a lot. Whereas Dallas, Dak's the man. CD's awesome. Yeah, the defense looks horrible. And I don't know how we overlook that. Yeah, I, I look. I mean, Logan Thomas is also a great target for Washington. Logan like, Thomas, he's and, also very and, much and, worthy of mentioning. That's and they bad. also, and, yeah, and in the backfield, they have good players. They didn't invest a ton in them. I think they're the problem with me. The problem I have though is like the Fitz coaster. Just to, like I, I, I just Not a I, I agree with you on the rest of the team. I do think the rest of the team is really well put together. I don't think much of Del Rio, but I do think like there is. And they have. They, they they built the defense front to back, which we would not. But then once they've realized the defense is good, they've started to build in reinforcements. You know, yeah. William Jackson and, and, you know, Kendall Fuller and company. Like, that that's right. a good team. But with de- with defense, it's almost always – you look at Dallas's – you look at Dallas's schedule. And after what – like, the, after week three, they don't play, like, a team with a winning record for, like, ten weeks, you know, from last season. And Dak – if Dak can, if there's one thing Dak can do, it's reliably beat bad teams and and offense like the consistency of an offense in a schedule with bad teams. Uh, that's what I'll take over sort of a because I think Fitz can Fitz gives I think Washington a better chance to beat a team like Kansas City, but I think it also gives them a better chance to lose to a team like the Jets or right. whoever. That's a very playing. very good way of playing. That, that's interesting though, but I will say this. Fitz has played with terrible teams. 
you don't see Fitz playing with good teams. And last year you saw that for the first time, and they were good. Like the Miami Dolphins were a playoff team. But is that is that actually true? Because I think with Tampa, like Tampa legitimately was starting to put pieces into place for their Super Bowl run. Stop. When he was, you Tom know. Brady was the piece for their Super Bowl run. Let's not get it twisted. I mean, here. okay, but then even those Buffalo teams had good defenses and good, like, I, I think he's been, and like the Jets team, I mean, he melted down against Rex Ryan with a chance to make the playoffs in 15. Like, the guy, there, there, there's there's a reason why the guy is always sort of this quarterback. Yeah, which is it's, it's, the Harvard, it's the Harvard bias. People hate. No, I just, like, again, again, my issue. <laughs> These guys can't catch a break, Eric. Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay? I'm sorry. The Winklevi, now, now Fitzpatrick. Now Fitzpatrick. Like my, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah, never, can never. But, like, my issue with, my issue, I think, again, this is my take on Fitzpatrick in this division. If this was a division whose off-schedule teams were really hard, and every one of these teams in the, had, like, a win, implied win total of, like, six and a half, I'd pick Washington because I think Fitzpatrick can win enough of the games that were their underdogs. But like, and I get, I'm speaking on both sides of my mouth because they're underdogs in all but three games. So like there's there's part of that to it. But Dallas is going to be favored in like the vast majority of their games. And Dak is not the kind of quarterback that just, abs- like Dak can kill bad teams. I don't know if he can win games against upper tier teams, but I think he can win 10 games even with a bad defense against teams that don't have great quarterbacks okay. by definition. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. I have a point that I want to make. But let me ask maybe you that's not saying they're better, but is, maybe that's saying they'll have a better record. Maybe I mean, that's is Washington saying. not a top-tier team? Because that's the team he's going to have to beat to win this division. I I mean, what are, what's the line in those two games? Dallas is favored in both those games, right? And I think I'd bet the football. <laughs> okay. Like I, okay. I, my, like that. That's kind of my point, though. I agree with you, but ultimately they do have to beat that team I mean not really Washington won that division by being swept by the Giants like like you know though all you have to be is better than them and all the other like you don't need to sw- I mean you yeah, know what I'm yes saying but no like, but like there's a reason those you can match up so shittily against a team which I do think they do match like a more complete team is a better team than the Dallas Cowboys well but okay. but like I but I think Dallas's brilliance at the QB position stands out in this division I want the one point I wanted to make and I'm curious if you agree with me here Ben is I said I think last year I was like Terry McLaurin is the best receiver in this division and I got people were very angry of course the Amari Cooper hive and whatever I still maintain this I would take Terry McLaurin over Amari Cooper I'd take him over CeeDee Lamb I'd take him over Michael Gallup there's a consistency about him. There's um, a like, and I, I like I'm a math guy, but like there's a tenaciousness about like the way he plays football that is just awesome. Um, where do you stand on that? Not we're not taking contracts into account, right? No, no. no. Yeah, I like Amari. <laughs> I love Terry, but Amari's. I mean, when we talk about uh, Terry as a route runner, I think he's a premier route runner. I think he's top five route runner in the league. Cooper's top two. You know what I mean? Like that thing is like to me, McLaurin's cardinal trait. Cooper's got him beat on, uh, and McLaurin, like McLaurin's got, I think probably a better deep ball profile than Cooper does. But it's just not what Washington has used him for. And so there's arguments to be made in terms of, like the roles you'd put him in and whatnot. But I, I Amari, oh man, uh, he's a delight to watch, and so is Terry. I, I give it to you, but I. I can't in good conscience say he's better than it's Cooper. It's a mentality. I love watching thing Cooper for me. play. It's a mentality thing, like. The alpha, Listen, the alphaness we, that Terry has, yeah, 
is special. We to got me. in trouble for talking about Alpha. Right, right. I can't. Week. I can't do that. Okay, <laughs> let me ask you the real question I want to ask you, which is about Dak, because I think it's it it is interesting and ultimately comes down to this. So, where let's say you're drafting quarterbacks for this year, your board, okay? Usually, am yes. Your board, your board for the quarterback position, drafting quarterbacks for this year and this year alone. Where is Dak on your board? Oh, so I, uh, the athletic football show just did that quarterback draft, and I was literally chatting with Nate Tice about it pre that show, and he was like, "Make me not put Dak at two on the board," and I was like, "Wow," and they, and they, that's where he ended up taking Dak, and it's okay, Mahomes top tier. There's nothing real. Barring what we don't know about Deshaun Watson's future in football, it's difficult to argue Dak, at least not in that next year, with Rodgers and, you know, with, with uh, Lamar, with Allen. They were doing, like, next five years. Yeah, they were doing, like, yeah. and whatever. Right, but if, if I want to win games, Dak's poof, top three, probably. Because yeah. uh, I'd take Rodgers to win right now. And then it's a question of what's my offense like around Lamar and so on and so forth. The thing is, like, uh, I as a guy who watched – the Wentz who played in 2018 looks so physically different than the Wentz who played in 2017. He tore three of the four ligaments in his knee, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there was a major injury. I always want to see it before I go all the way in because when your physical profile changes, it drastically affects how you play quarterback, even slightly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when your arm strength goes from 100 to 90, you better be Drew Brees smart to figure that out. When your athleticism goes from 100 to 90, you know what I mean? Like, all of a sudden, you're taking 10 more sacks than you were, and those are impactful plays. Mm. So if I get the same Dak I had last year, yeah, third. Let's do it. Uh, If I want to know that I have that, and that's my main thing with, you know, Dak can beat bad teams, right? Like Eric was saying, he absolutely can. Cowboys, you know, we're we're going toe-to-toe with the Giants in week five, right? Like, they... They that can beat bad teams when 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 he's healthy, but that defense was so bad that they were still making every game a game. You know what I mean? Like they they had to have absurd things happen to them in that in that Falcons game, right? Like it's just they were punching at everybody's weight, no matter if they were good, bad, or otherwise. And that was with Dak at a hundred. And I want to know that he's back at a hundred before I say with my chest, "We've got it. We can go and we can just ride this guy into the playoffs." Because sometimes rehab is not that neat and it's a dang shame but it's it's very tough and so it's 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 just tough so you would go Dak over josh allen yeah allen was awesome last season very much so in the same way that i want to see it with Dak because i wanted to be healthy i also want to see it with allen because we didn't think that was going to happen uh and Mm -hmm. that's a tremendous peak and if it is his peak, that's great. I'd like to see what the year-over-year year looks like. Uh, and, and I think that with Allen's talent and his recent success is, and you already saw this last year, going to come arrogance. And that arrogance is going to invite bad plays. And his response to that is going to be important because he worked his tail off to get to exactly where he is. And they made it all the way to the tippy top. And they were awesome on offense. They were great. Mm. Dabble's back and Stephon Diggs is there and everything is hunky-dory. Once you take a step back, because inevitably you do, how you respond to that is important. If you go back to, I can make every throw in the entire world and we'll continue to try, you're going to invite bad plays. You're going to invite some chaos. Mm. Uh, that's where Allen lives. And I, as much as I love that, I'd much rather have a quarterback who's all about consistency, which is Dak. 
which is even like Lamar in terms of his ability to run, as opposed to a guy who lives on that variance. And I know I said, I'll ride the Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah, uh, yeah. roller coaster to an NFC East title for Washington. But when we start getting to middle tier quarterbacks, variance is a lot more, I, I welcome it a lot more than at the top tier, where right. I don't want to play that game as much. Because yeah. you, you need to hit the high variance at some point, like in a game to win, and you'd right. rather have a guy who's capable of it. But but just to be just to be clear, for this one year though, like you're not you're not taking Dak over Tom Brady, are you? Oh yeah, I'm not taking Dak over Tom. That's right. I don't think I never think about Tom. I never think about him in these exercises because yeah, well, he's, he's just a meme guy. He's, like just, doing, he's right. just doing memes. Yeah. That's all he's doing. Yeah. All right. So right, if it's right, if it's just this year, right? It's Mahomes. It's Rogers. It's Brady. Are you taking Russ? Sure. Because no, I'm not. I'm not taking Russ over Dak. Because our because our our, oh, our top oh. six, if you look at our you know our that's our PFF an, betting tools. Mahomes, and then kind of tied for second is Wilson, Rogers, Brady, right? That this just a game today. Yeah. Allen fifth, Prescott, Ryan sixth, and I mm -hmm. think we're a little high on Ryan, but we've always been high on Ryan. the The thing I I'm think about Russell Ryan. Wilson, which is really interesting, how much of of him changed last year in our minds? Because are we are we hmm. are we hung over from the first like eight weeks of Wilson? coming off of what 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 could have been an MVP year of 2019 and are we so disgusted with him because of the last I'd like <laughs> I'd like to, 5 6 weeks of the season I'd like to not talk about hangovers personally but but Ben I want you to break that down and and talk, mm -hmm. like the Dak Russ thing is fascinating cuz I've never even considered that I think we've just always put Russ ahead of him now I'm thinking about it and arguments Russ are has lower odds to win the NBA. Like arguments are coming to mind. Plus eighteen hundred. Plus yeah. eighteen hundred. Russ is. And listen, I am saying this as a man who literally just bet Russell Wilson to win MVP. Like to me, that's if he wins the NFC West, which is possible. Yep. It, it means that they came. He's got Shane Waldron. I love it. I love it. I love it. Russ is more high variance in terms of how his process is and how he gets to his good plays mm -hmm. than I think we generally talk about off of mm -hmm. my watching them and off of my my read of him and it's not so much the variance of interceptions which i think is what you expect with allen who has kind of right. scattershot accuracy and challenges tight windows and it's more so the sacks and the the running around and being a little bit of a you know crazy guy 18 yards behind the line of scrimmage um sacks i'd rather take a sack than throw a pick but sacks still really hurt yep. uh what we saw last year in terms of when they put that additional volume on russ's plate and how he started to, as we talked about with Kyler and Hertz, become a, a polarized passer, become a, spec, a, a edge of the spectrum passer. I want to work the outside of the numbers. I want to work down the field. I want to work I don't want to work this area of the field. Well, I remember kind of doing the autopsy on that whole explosion of the let Russ Cook <laughs> movement there in the, in the end of that season. And there was a lot that went into it. And there's Tyler Lockett injury and there's offensive line playing, whatever. But there was that reality of we're going to play too high. And we're going to make Russ not throw this deep outside ball. And all of a sudden, you start to see a player who doesn't have as neat and as clean of a process as Prescott does. And because at the end of the day, no matter what Peter Schrager called me, I'm still a film guy at heart. I want clean process. That's what I want. I want to see how you got there, and I want to see it happen rep after rep. And that's why you have film guys who are really big on Prescott. Uh, his process I was trying to think of a different word because I've said process like six times, but that's just the you word. You got to trust it. You, you yeah. got to trust it. I mean, you're wearing the freaking hat. The way the way that Pre uh, Prescott understands the field pre-snap is, mm, man, it, it looks like some of those those veteran mid two thousand quarterbacks that you've seen really? stick in the league for super long. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then 
the way that he manages a pocket, buys himself half a second, that's that's top flight stuff. That's unteachable stuff. Uh, and so he's very impressive in that regard. I trust Prescott's longevity more than Russ's. For one year, I think I'm still taking Dak as well. Uh, but maybe maybe I'm, I'm still in that five-year perspective. Prescott's that impressive of a film watch, in my opinion. It's um, you know, it's it's fascinating you say that because you look at a couple of numbers and Prescott last year, very limited time, but 122 pass rating versus the blitz and a sack rate yeah, that tracks a sack rate of just six percent. It was three percent the year before. Three percent sack rate versus the blitz. Russell Wilson's sack rate overall is almost eight percent. Yeah, and um. That you mentioned sacks, like I'm so glad. Like pass rating doesn't talk about sacks, and that's an absolute crime. But like <laughs> Dak Prescott takes a sack almost half as often as Russell Wilson does. Like that that matters. Um, so you make a very compelling argument there. Now, based on that, I argument, wish I'd done more prep work for yeah. it. And we were talking about this. I like have more numbers. No, this is great. Uh, this is why these conversations are awesome because I, I never know where the, it's going to go and it leads us to have you know more conversations in the future. So you made that case for Dak now. Now I'm all high on Dak. Now I'm rethinking the whole Washington well, football team over Cowboys love. Because because you're in the you're in the you're in that basin of football play, which is do you have an elite quarterback? If the answer is yes. You just belong in a different tier of shit, right? Like less things have to go, uh, sorry. Less things have to go lucky for you. Sure. If your quarterback is Tom Brady, like you just don't have to get as lucky. You're in the AFC championship game for 10 freaking years in a row. If you are, if your court, like if we believe what we think about Dak, which is that in 2019, he was the set, the third or second, third most valuable player in the league. And last season, he was lighting the thing on fire before he got hurt. And, you know, modern medicine is such that he'll come back from this. Then you have to believe the Dallas Cowboys are, they're not like the 2018 Chiefs, but that is a that is a, a model where your defense can be an, a group of 11 arsonists lighting this thing on fire all the time. But you have a great quarterback, great weapons, and you can overcome it against 11 out of your 17 opponents. Like, that's kind of how I view Dallas. Um, yeah. Rel like, whereas with Fitzpatrick, you kind of got to get lucky. Like, you kind of got to get lucky more than you do with a guy like Dak. Yeah. I also will make this point, Ben. I'm curious uh, if you have a thought on this. Like, for Dallas, to me, they have so much scrutiny from a media perspective. And, like, Jerry Jones is just such an intense guy. And like you feel the extra pressure, it it's like nah, it's not a freeing feeling. And every time you do something either good or bad, it gets magnified. And I just feel like for them, it's a little harder to get out of their own way in some situations. So I like that for Washington as well. They get to be under the radar, you know, mm -hmm. Harvard guy under the radar. I mean, you know, it's where they're mm -hmm. most successful. We'll never, we'll never know. We'll never expect it out of them. I, I when you start going to the coaching and messaging thing it is true like i have way more trust in ron rivera than mike mccarthy especially to deal with the general right. toils and tumbles of a season uh i think that if the cowboys go on like even a i know eric said like they play three good teams and like 10 bad teams so maybe not but if they go on that mid-season lull if they have a game or two uh, uh, excuse me two games or three that they drop i think things can get weird quickly because of the circumstances under which McCarthy was brought in, um, because of the change on defense especially, right? Like they did this whole 
we're going to be super multiple under Mike Nolan thing. And then they were really bad. Yeah. And then they changed over to Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn was like, we're going to be super multiple. And it's like, well, I've seen where this went. <laughs> you know, you, you need good personnel to be very multiple. I'm not sure you have it. Uh, and so they have linebackers. I, I could though. see, right. Have linebackers. Um, <laughs> that Parsons pick is going to live in my head forever, man. And like, listen, I. I like linebackers, like a film guy. Like I think linebackers are important and stuff. You know what I mean? Like that whole conversation. Even then, what are you, you already did the early drafted linebackers? Yeah. It didn't work. You would have thought you would have learned, but no. Uh, and so uh, I, I do see how things could spiral quickly for Dallas. Whereas Ron usually runs a, a steady riverboat, as it were. Yes, our guy, our guy, Ron. And Ron, I, we trust. I do think I do think Washington's win total of eight is reasonable, and I wouldn't hate people for betting the over. I just. I actually think Dallas, like, what, what's Dallas's record last year if Dak doesn't get injured? So they were six and ten. What's their record if Dak? Because they already lost to the Browns at home with, oh, yeah. with Dak. They lost. They were two and three after he went down. Yep. Yeah, they, they lost to the Rams at home or on the road, which is a bad loss for them. Um, like, Seahawks what's the record? Well, they lost to. I think Dak's amazing, and it's maybe two games better, maybe. So they win the division with him. Yeah, but the division bad, was historically it, terrible. They, 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 they might not win the Washington game that Ben DiNucci has to play in. They probably win the Arizona Cardinals game on that Monday night. That dreadful, that awful game was the worst thing I've ever seen. They beat the Giants in Week 17. Like, I, I, you're giving them a lot of credit, man. I'm telling you, like Dak can be amazing, but that that team is it's just it's tough with the scrutiny and their defense, as yeah. Ben said, was so bad. So Cowboys nine and a half. Plus 107 to the over. You're taking the over? I, I mean, I ha I, at this point, I almost have to. Yeah, you almost have to. All right. Um, so let's, let's do this really quickly, Ben, because I have one last question for you. Okay. But Dallas Cowboys, nine and a half over, uh, a little bit juice plus, or sorry, um, juice towards the under. Plus 107. Haters. Over, yeah, haters. Minus 130 under. Your call on that one right now if you had so to plus 107 over minus 130 under yeah mm, that's a i would probably take the under but it i uh, man you can't make me talk about dak for that long i and know and make me go back to being responsible about the cowboys i don't even know their whole team outlook I, <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, i'd probably i i know they have a soft schedule i'd probably still lean under because i just don't know how many shootouts you can win uh, and that's where i think they're going to be as a team uh, and then, accordingly, I do like the Washington over at eight. If there's a, a line I feel good about, it's that one. Yeah. I'm Washington over eight is what? Minus, minus 141. 141. Oh, ew. They're plus 260 to win the division, though. Yeah, I think that's how we I have that. that. I own that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. actually, it has your name next to it. Um, yes, sir. <laughs> all right, we're going to close out with this. We have a new segment that we do on Sundays where Eric and I try to give a recommendation for something that we've either used or Eric like watches movies, unlike me. And so he'll give recommendations on a good movie he's seen. Um, It'll be a book this week. A, I, I need a, to be more cultured. Yeah, thanks. A lifestyle choice. Um, anything that you want, because we like to diversify uh, our lives and include more good things in them. And I have a feeling that you have a lot of recommendations that you are just itching to give people based on your I've, Twitter feed. <laughs> Based on my your mother Twitter. taught me how to give free advice. I've been talking about my mom a lot in this podcast for some <laughs> reason, but she did. And uh, so I know how. No, my uh, my recommendation this week is not a book. It's not a movie. It's go outside. Oh, weather's been beautiful in Michigan. It's been 75 and sunny. So it's like it's too hot, 
but also it's the first time of year where it is too hot you get to like go outside and like get a sweat going i'm a big fisher i i went fishing really? two times in the past week I've had a great time every single day i wake up and i start working and i'm tippy tapping away and i'm watching film or whatever and i'm like why do i feel bad why do i feel grumpy why do i feel gross and i take the dog out and i get a breath of fresh air and i'm like you're dumb like you just need to go outside uh, and so man it's may like it it's verdant it's beautiful i'm so happy every time i go outside my wreck is go take a hike go fish for a fish it george george took aaron nagler's uh recommendation seriously i'm gonna take yours we just moved to a new house and i had a great routine of like biking places and stuff and i've spent the last few days just in trapped inside i took a couple meetings in the morning on my walk but like I, I just need to do what you're saying. Yeah, I well, vitamin to, D. I just need to take more meetings while on walks. Like yeah. I feel like that's a, such a such a boss move, and I need to start doing that. It's a great move. I, my follow up question to you, Ben, is if someone is like not a fisherman, <laughs> have you ever? Here's a question, George, which is me. Have you ever gone fishing? Uh, okay, I have gone fishing, okay. but like I wouldn't know if you would call it fishing. It was one of those things where it was like I was young and I was like, Mom, I want to go fishing. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. And my right. mom's like, Oh God. So we go to a place that's like a, you know, a man-made pond Come to on. fish. Dude, like it, was, stuff? it was legitimately the worst experience in my life. I didn't even <laughs> come close to catching a fish. I don't think there were fish in there, to be yeah, perfectly honest right. with you. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I'm asking Ben now, let's say I want to restart this and I want to do it the right way. Like, how do I, be, how do I get started? Well, you go over the high, I'm just kidding. Stop. Now, honestly fishing youtube is the bomb if you want a good youtube hole you can really? get from like 65 year old leather skin white hair two pairs of sunglasses shirt tucked into jeans down yeah. southerner teaching you how to fish for a bass in a florida everglade while he like barely pays attention to the camera doesn't know how his mic works to like young dudes who like are producing sick videos of like you know crazy slow motion catches like fishing youtube is a sick youtube hole to fall down and it's also super informative and a very like supportive and fun community i'm i am very big on everybody needs to go fishing at least once in their life yeah I that's think it's, way it's different a critical life experience everybody needs to sit in a boat put a line in the water and feel completely inferior to a very dumb animal for four hours it's a humbling and valuable experience yeah that's way different than my uncle who just would call <laughs> me a pansy for not wanting to put, take the 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 fish off the hook with my own hands <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of a pansy move. It is, but like, but you know, when you're first, when you're young, right? Like th those things are sharp, George. I know we've learned that you're a pansy now. No, no, so... I was called one. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna put it on my list. I'm gonna have to try. We have to go fishing somewhere. I'm gonna have to go fishing. You know, when might be the time? I'm going to Cabo a couple times, and uh, that could. You can 100 be... do charter fishing in Cabo. It'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be. Kind of a cool you fish. You, you might go snorkeling. You just grab gonna, one with your bare hands. I'm going to turn in. I'm going to have a new career. I'm going to turn into a YouTube fisherman, and Ben's going to be watching my videos for once. So Listen, when I'm avoiding work at 1230 in the morning, George Shahori, fishing channel, could be is. great. That'd be an incredible turnaround and about face. <laughs> Benjamin Solak, The Draft Network, uh, at Benjamin Solak on Twitter. You've got to follow him if you do not for the football and the other things, like his hatred of fruit, which next time – we will get into that's Fine a teaser that. if i've ever heard one by the way ben thanks so much brother this is awesome i appreciate it fellas y'all be well special thanks to benjamin for being so generous with this time um 
great conversation. We'll have them on again. As I said, the fruit thing we have to discuss. I wanted to bring it up. You even had another story that we didn't get a chance to uh, to talk about. So um, we'll be back with you guys on Sunday. Of course, we have a couple of really good ideas for that. And of course, recommendations um, on Sunday from both of us. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you guys later. Peace.